At the center of the augmented reality industry lies one company. It's Gravity Jack. And they've been the secret pioneer in the augmented reality and virtual reality space since the early 2000s. Gravity Jack has worked with a plethora of Fortune 500 companies to create the augmented reality experiences you've seen and used today. And after a long wait, they've finally begun their first ever public stock offering. Gravity Jack invites you to join them. They'll continue to be at the center. Find them on startengine.com. Hey y'all, welcome to Cross Baltic on the Five Laugh Feast Network. Pastor Toby Chalknox on the water boy. It's, it's we're we're getting close. Here in Moscow, it finally hit, you know, kind of winter starting to hit. Fall. Like eh, fall. I mean fall. N- no, it's it's getting down to thirties. I mean that's winter to me. Fall. However you want to say it. <laughs> um so it, as we kind of come around to the end of the year, if your company is uh, wanting or interested in supporting us, please reach out to Waterboy at CrossPolitik.com. <clears throat> My throat. Waterboy at CrossPolitik.com. We have all sorts of – I mean, we're we're running on duct tape around here. So if, if, if there's any way – But it's very good duct tape. Yes. It, it's, it's high, solid. high quality. It's very good duct, duct tape. It's Christian duct tape. It's been holding up for six years. It's <laughs> some good duct tape. So well, reach out. We'd love to um, you know, have your company support us in any way possible. Waterboy at CrossPolitik.com. We are on a mission to make magazines great again. Yes. M- M-A- what is that? Mag- Ma- Mama? Make, magazines make, great. Make make make, make great. Oh, no. magazines. M- oh, no. it, it's still M A G A. M M. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so subscribe to our Fight Laugh East magazine because obviously it's still MAGA. Magazines great again. I don't know. Make, make, our, make, our duct tape is falling apart. Yeah. This is a quarterly mini book like experience packed full of a variety of authors that includes theologically driven cultural commentary, a psalm of the quarter, recipes for feasting, laughter sprinkled throughout the glossy, like just sprinkled, sprinkled, mm. sprinkled, and more. <laughs> Sign your church up. Sign your grumpy uncle up. Yeah. And we got a lot of them. While you're at it, sign up the Trump. Pope? Yeah, the Pope and Trump. Might as well, Trump might as well. Hey, this. somebody this, send this, G3 the, one of our nice little magazines. Yeah. That'd be nice to send them one. This magazine will guarantee various responses and cross politics is not held liable for any of them. Reading the whole magazine may cause theological maturation, possibly encourage your kids to take the Lord's Supper with you, and will likely cause you to randomly chuckle and enjoy at God's wondrous world. In addition to all the above, if you're a Platinum Club member, you'll get a magazine subscription for free. So if you're not That's a true. club member yet, sign up today. Four issues, 60 bucks per year. Again, unless you're a Platinum Club member, that's it. Go to Fight Laugh Feast. baked in the cake. Actually, 100 people that went to our conference got free copies. That's right. Okay, guys. That's right. Of, of, do it. of the last issue, of the brand new issue that some of us are still waiting to see. Yep. A based business. Yep. Um, right. And um, so if you're one of those lucky 100 people, I mean, God is blessing you right now. Come on now. Come on. Come, I feel hey, it. we're <laughs> grateful to have Mr. Jimmy Song back with us. Jimmy mm. Song is a Bitcoin developer, educator, and entrepreneur. He writes a weekly newsletter. Uh, Bitcoin Tech Talk has a podcast, Bitcoin Fixes This. And he's the author of the brand new book, Fiat ruins everything. Jimmy, thanks for coming back on Cross Politic. Thanks for having me on the show. Hopefully you guys can, uh, you know, uh, shed some light on how Fiat ruins things uh, on the show. Uh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> is that a physical copy of the book? It, it is right here. Yeah. Well, uh, why, why, why don't why don't we uh, have one of those? <laughs> I, um, I haven't mailed it to you. I just need an address. I'll, oh. I'll send you guys. Okay, because oh. that'd be really nice. There we go. Well, so, the, the cover is amazing. You know, I mean, the, pro- like, the problem is fiat. 
And we would have had one if it wasn't for the fiat, yeah. but it ruins everything. <laughs> Even me getting a copy the of it. The physical copy is so valuable. I can't quite see what the cover is, but it kind of looks like a comic. Like that, a, that's like, what I was going like to say. Marvel, like a yeah. Marvel hero comic book or something. I don't know. Is that Where's your cake, uh, No, no. Okay, so the cover is uh, Benjamin Franklin, the $100 bill, that, oh. that face. With clown makeup. I it's, see it it's now. It's the personification of now. clown world. I see ah. it. I like it. I see it. Um, so why don't you just start at the beginning for us. Assume that we are in kindergarten. Um, what is fiat and how does it ruin everything? Yeah. So the word fiat comes from Latin. If you read the, uh, you know, uh, the Latin Vulgate, which is the Latin version of the Bible, you you see the word all over the place. Genesis one three, fiat lux, right? Uh, let there be light. Yeah. So fiat really means let there be. So when we say fiat money, it's money where you just say let there be money, and that that is exactly what the Federal Reserve does, and that is the money that we are talking about when we say fiat. Um, more generally, it's it's come to mean sort of anything affected by fiat money um and that's uh, that's uh, more uh, vocabulary that's uh that's come along in the last 5 years or so but that's that's what we mean by fiat it's everything that is affected by fiat money fiat money basically ruins everything and and how how does it ruin everything mm. Well, uh, the the fact that somebody has the right to create money out of thin air uh, ends up affecting almost everything. Uh, any trade that you're doing, uh, the the presence of the money printer means that certain things are valued more than others, and it, it changes the incentives around pretty much every industry. I uh, get into all kinds of industries in the book, uh, airlines, for example, and just technology in general. I mean, you can you can see it in the economy. Almost every industry is dominated by four or five companies. There's four or five pharmaceutical companies, four or five accounting firms, four or five health insurance companies. Everything is just sort of um, uh, incentivized to grow big because of this money printer. And they they are all experts at sort of sucking from the government teat, if you will. They, they, they are very good at uh, grabbing that uh, a piece of the money spigot and uh, using it for the purposes of uh, making their businesses large rather than in serving their customers. And that that has distorting effects on the economy, uh, but not just the economy in uh, sort of national politics, world politics, even our individual lives, uh, because we don't have a very good savings vehicle. And that means that most people are incentivized instead to gamble a little bit more, take more risks with their money and try to become what I call in the book rent seekers, uh, people that don't contribute much value to the economy, but still extract a lot of money. Um, and you know, you can think of a lot of rent seekers, government bureaucrats, for example, but also people like investment bankers and uh, a lot of HR professionals, things like that. Jimmy, you remember when uh, Michael Scott walked out of his office and he said, I declare bankruptcy. I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> that's, that's fiat. You know, it's like, let it be. Mm. Let, let my bankruptcy be. How does, uh, I mean, you kind of like went off on fiat on how it debases. <laughs> yeah. On how it debases marriage, how it debases families, how it debases. So um, not only like you went off on like how it debases the economy, but you got into marriage on this. What do you, what do you mean by mm. fiat debases marriage? Well, uh, fiat money has basically made us all much more dependent on the state, but also made, uh, you know, traditional virtues like marriage or traditionally good things like family uh, much more expensive. So, for example, in the last uh, 
50 years or so, you've seen pretty much every family go into a state where both parents have to work. Uh, at least when I was growing up, my, my mom stayed at home and my dad went to work and we did fine. Um, we're all so much more poor now that every, uh, nearly every family needs to have both uh, parents work uh, just to make the ends meet. And a large part of that is because housing costs are so high. And now why, why are housing costs so high? Uh, because there are no good stores of value. So the only real stores of value that people tend to have access to are stocks and real estate. And both are in tremendous sort of frothy bubble like, uh, you know, states and have been for some time now. So that means that uh, a lot of people are using housing, for example, as investment vehicles instead of a place to live. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, there, there's this phenomenon in China, for example, of ghost cities. There, these are entire cities of buildings that have nobody occupying them. Why does that exist? It's because, at least in Asian culture, uh, housing is considered an excellent store of value, and people would rather put it in that than in the crappy fiat currency that they have exposure to. So they they build these excess things that no one lives in because they want to store value there. This is a good way to make sure you have some savings. A uh, similar thing is happening all over the world. Um, I, I, I've heard some statistic about uh, a very large percentage of high-end luxury condos in New York City sit vacant. Uh, nobody lives in them because they are considered very good investments. So it's better just to keep them and not even rent them out uh, rather than, you know, like use them for something that people would use them for. So that 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 ultimately means that families uh you know get the short end of the stick uh in, instead of people that want to have large families for example or to even start a family uh you know getting uh the you know paying for the utility that you would get out of a large house it's now instead going to some investor that wants to save their money instead and they they're having to compete so it's debasing in uh sort of an economic way but uh more more importantly it's also debased uh, from sort of like a dependency way. Family was where you found a lot of security, a lot of uh, fallbacks. Um, you know, you, you didn't have unemployment insurance or, you know, retirement funds and things like that in the past or pensions. Uh, instead, you had family. You you had children that would take care of you in your own a old age instead right. of pensions or retirement. You you had relatives that would help you go get a job or, you know, help, you, help tide you over if you lost your job or something like that. You didn't even really have a job per se. You 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 had a family business that you were contributing to, so all of that has been uh, sort of taken over by the fiat monetary system, which has uh, done things that are very sort of a uh, atypical historically speaking. Uh, you have giant corporations that people are involved in that they're uh, you know giving their lives to, um, and you have this dependency on the state for a lot of these things that you otherwise would have uh, depended on with your family. So all of that has been debased. And unfortunately, um, you know, the, the forces that want things to be that way to induce dependence have more or less won over the last generation. Excuse me, Jimmy. Um, I think um, broadly, I mean, I I agree with the the broad brush picture you're painting. At the same time, one thing I want to I just want to maybe like um, in a friendly way push back is ask. So, what about um, you said families are poorer now, mm -hmm. um, and and you point to cost of living, but haven't mm -hmm. wages risen with it? And so, mm. what's is it really true that we really are poorer? Um, because I know that like 
yeah, housing costs a lot less 50 years ago, but everybody made a lot less 50 years ago. People are making mm-hmm. more now. So how, how does that correlate to the picture that you're painting? Yeah, excellent question. So if you look at the wage growth versus housing price growth, housing price growth is way higher than the wage growth. Um, So uh, though wages have gone up since, say, 1971, it, uh, you know, housing prices have gone up even more. Uh, and if you look at his look at it historically, I think uh, housing prices have gone up at around five or six percent a year. Uh, wages have gone up more like two or three percent. So you're you're losing out a lot. And a significant part of that has to do with uh, the store value premium that uh, housing has taken on. It, it's become an investment vehicle because the dollar doesn't store value and people want uh, hate losing money. So they they would rather keep it in a house. And, you know, this is sort of like the meme that's on uh, X and, uh, you know, uh, other places where people talk about how, you know, boomers, they they bought their house for, you know, um, maybe a year's wage or something like that. And they're sitting on like a million dollar house at this point, whereas like somebody in Gen Z, they, they can't afford it uh, with a year's wage. Uh, you know, uh, if you look at sort of housing in terms of multiple uh, multiples of your annual income, uh, right now it's about six, seven or eight uh back back in the 70s i think it was a like two three or four something like that so you you like these are statistics that you can look up sure uh wages have not kept up so we, you we make more but we're outpacing the ratio yeah. of the value mm-hmm. of your house is is more Yes. And uh, and they, like all of the calculations kind of get skewed because the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve has been expanding the money supply for a significant amount of time. So, you know, of course, your wages are going to grow because there's just more money in the economy. Um, and the debasement of your dollar is around 7% a year if you measure it by the expansion yeah. Real of, uh, of the dollar. Yeah, the, yeah. the actual classical definition, which yeah. is expansion of the money supply. Right. Yeah. Mm, Pastor, why don't you go ahead and read this ad and then I'll ask my... All right. The mission of Armored Republic is to honor Christ by equipping free men with tools of liberty necessary to preserve God-given rights. In the Armored Republic... There's no king but Christ. Actually, that's true everywhere. That's right. We are free craftsmen. Body armor is a tool of liberty. They create tools of liberty. Free men must remain ever vigilant against tyranny wherever it appears. God has given us the tools of liberty needed to defend the rights he's bestowed to us. Armored Republic is honored to offer you those tools. Visit them today at AR 500 armor.com. That's the letters AR and the number 500 500 armor.com so uh johnny or mr song how about that uh question so do you think that fiat money has hindered our technological growth our um i mean cultural growth it seems like that things are progressing faster than they ever have before technologically is is fiat money breaking apart um are we falling apart there? Because it seems like we're advancing. And so I don't know if fiat money is ruining that area. Well, I, I would argue that it it has ruined it. Um, I mean, if you look at airline travel times from New York to London, they've gotten worse since the 60s. Um, think Wait, about your what? dishwasher. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's longer now to go from New York to London, uh, largely because of regulatory issues and things like that. But uh, here's another one like dishwashers. Um, how long does your dishwasher take to do a full load? Uh, if it's like any normal dishwasher on the market today, it's probably three and a half hours plus. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Back in the 60s, it was 45 minutes. Yep. What what happened, right? Like you you you're probably wondering about that. How is uh, they, dishwashers they, getting caught up in inflation? <laughs> well, well, the regulations and uh, and things that a lot of the dishwasher companies um, actually lobby for. So it, it used to be that you could wa- uh, wash dishes that quickly because you you are allowed to use a significant amount of water to make it sparkling clean, but. Uh, you know, they they put in rules that say you can only use a certain amount of water. Uh, the the kind of uh, detergent that you're allowed to use in the yeah. dishwasher yeah. has to be a certain way that's like biodegradable or something. So yeah. they they've weakened a lot of that stuff. Uh, but here here's another uh, stat: like the the first 747 went from conception to uh, rolling out on an assembly line in like 18 months. The latest uh, Boeing aircraft, I think it was the 747 Max, took 10 years. So what happened there, right? Why why did it take like 18 months and now it's 10 years? Well, a lot of the people that would have gone into aerospace engineering are now in you know, uh, investment banking or Web3 startup or something else that's not really adding any value to the economy because those are uh, positions where you can get paid a lot of money without doing that much work. So people are more likely to go into those things than some of these other things. Um, I point out in the book, for example, that we had nuclear submarines in the 60s, right? This, This is a vehicle that can travel for 18 months without refueling, right? It can stay underwater. It doesn't need to refuel for 18 months. Hmm. Think about if we actually progress that technology, how nice would it be for your car to not have to fill up on gas for 18 months? Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like this is is technology that has purposefully been stifled and it, it really has not progressed because nuclear engineering has been, first of all, heavily regulated, but uh, secondly, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the lobbies around the big companies, they 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 wanted this thing because they didn't want the competition. They 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 were in development for, um, you know, nuclear jet engines. Right. Like these are engines that would have uh, allowed a plane to fly in the air for like a week and a half without any refueling. Uh, but, you know, that 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 development stopped pretty much in the late 60s uh-huh. and uh, hasn't progressed at all since. There's all kinds of stuff like that where, uh, you know, no, none of it was allowed to progress because they're industrial interests. The the, the big companies that that will put in regulation that will make a lot of this innovation very difficult. And who are the ones that are putting it in? Well, the, those are the people or the companies that. Uh, you know, would get threatened by such technology. So this is sort of like a pervasive thing. When when you have fiat money, when you have somebody that is benefiting from it, well, they're able to keep their position. They're able to keep everything sort of static. And, uh, you know, you you do mention that there are things progressing. And I do admit, like, there's stuff like the internet and stuff that that has progress significantly but think about it they're all sort of looking inward right we have better entertainment options or we we could keep in touch with our friends better or something like that we haven't really 
push the frontier since, say, 1969 when we landed a man on the moon. It, that that was pretty much the last time we pushed the frontier in any way, shape, or form. We we and I'll note uh, with prejudice that we really haven't been back, right? Like since the early 70s, we we haven't been back to uh, to the moon or pushed anything further. Um, Elon Musk is trying to push that envelope a little bit now, but. Really, we 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 gone backwards, and I, I would argue that a lot of the talent has been drained because they're they're going into stuff that's where it's a lot easier to make money. Uh, a lot of the uh, you know the the companies that that exist are, have been ossified. Uh, a lot of these corporate CEOs are essentially political officers that are you know taking orders from uh, the federal government and so on. Uh, so you know we we really haven't progressed nearly as much as you think. We we have the illusion of that because you know maybe you have a faster website or a faster cell phone or something like that. But again, those are all looking inward. We we haven't been pushing the frontier at all. That, that so, seems more like a form of fascism than fiat money though right well it, the fiat money uh, ultimately incentivizes those things there there's nothing stopping you from trying to create a company like that it's just that there are enough uh, hurdles uh usually capital requirements are just so incredibly high that uh say you wanted to uh compete in the airline space say you have an idea for a nuclear jet engine maybe maybe some way to harness nuclear power so that you can propel a jet forward and uh you know have flights like from australia to london which are not possible right now uh well you you wouldn't be able to do it because the capital requirements are insanely high the re regulatory environment is just completely uh you know and uh you know against sort of new companies and really there are only two commercial airline maker uh airplane makers in the world right. uh it's just boeing and airbus at this right. point and they they have a duopoly over over this uh mm -hmm. those uh, this industry i i've read about like a lot of different tech that could be used there's drone technology for example right. you could probably have that uh you know scale that up and have that pick up people and go go various places how cool would that be if you could like uh you know beat traffic by using a drone uh helicopter to like go go from point a to point b but that's not really allowed to uh exist because there's so many faa rules and regulatory rules and things like that it's all stifled because there are big manufacturers that want the regulation in place and they they have the ability to do that because they have access to newly printed money through the commercial paper market among other things uh, and they 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 can lobby Congress and uh, you know buy out competitors and underprice competitors and basically knock out any startup uh, that might come their way. So they they keep their duopoly, they keep things static, they don't allow progress. And that's that's not just the airline industry. I mean, that's just a a, a small one. Uh, there there's lots of other industries where this is the case. Like I said, it's like five or six big companies for almost every industry that you can think of: big agriculture, you know. Um, you know, meat processing, whatever, like it, everything is uh, controlled by five or six big companies at this point. Jimmy, um, help me out. I said, I said earlier, remember we're like in kindergarten here. <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> three um, years old, better help, help me connect the dots from the federal reserve and fiat mm. currency and these monopolies. Mm. What's the connection mm. between the monopolies or duopolies and, you know, the, um, and yeah, oligarchies five -opolies. and the, and the, and, yeah. the, and the fiat money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the way that the money enters the economy is through loans. So everything is a loan. So, uh, the, the Federal Reserve actually only lends out to its member banks and to the federal government through the treasury. So, um, 
So the government deficit, right, the the national deficit, that's funded more or less by the Federal Reserve. But uh, so, so at like sort of the next level, it's it's really commercial banks that are expanding the money supply through loans. And this is done uh, through uh, through uh, the commercial bond market and so on. But they they can they essentially expand the money supply to buy these commercial bonds that these companies create. So. Uh, if you are a large company, you have a lot of advantages through access to this new newly printed money. And uh, a lot of them use it for all kinds of things, uh, like underpricing the competition. This is how Amazon and Walmart like destroy their competition. There's no real mom and pop uh, grocery store or bookstore anymore because the, those companies uh, underprice all of them. And they, they are able to do that because they have enormous scale and they have access to these very, very cheap loans. Um, you know, or they can uh, hire the best people from uh, from the industry. So this is like the Facebook Google strategy. They just hire everybody, and a lot of these people actually don't do very much at these companies. They just want to make sure that they these people don't go out and uh, make Create a startup that would yeah. make them obsolete. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, they uh, or they can use that money to go acquire these startups that are doing well. Right? They'll yeah. they'll spend a hundred billion or ten billion dollars on an Instagram or something like that if they if, if they see it as competition or, uh, you know, a, a, another sort of cynical way to use that money is to do stock buybacks, right? Uh, a lot of these CEOs get uh, paid based on uh, the stock price increase. So they they play this weird game world they, where they'll buy back stock for their company. So the stock price will increase. So their compensation will increase. Uh, but all of that. Uh, and of, of course, they, they can also use that money to lobby Congress. Now, the difference between a big company and a small company is that for a big company, it's a lot easier to get these loans. So if you think about it from the bank's perspective, would you rather give out right. 100 $1 million loans or one $100 million loan? I mean, it's pretty much a no-brainer. Just the paperwork alone, you would much rather just deal with the one entity that's large instead of 100 small entities. So that's the that's the trend, is that you, you want the bigger companies and the gr bigger companies grow bigger because they have this monetary advantage. They they lobby Congress to get the regulations uh, that they want in, and they they essentially have a monopoly, duopoly, tri, uh, you know, triopoly or quintopoly or whatever it is, um, and they dominate these industries. And you know, you you get the weird sort of uh, healthcare system that we have today, where pretty much every claim goes through like six large insurance companies in the world, and they they all somehow take a large portion of our paychecks without providing all that much value, right? It's They're not the doctors, they're not the nurses, but somehow they get paid you know, billions and billions of dollars somehow. Uh, and pharmaceutical companies, they also get paid billions and billions of dollars uh, without seemingly adding all that much value. And that that's that's the way of fiat money is that they, they are able to extract a lot of value. Uh, and this is what I call rent seeking. A lot of these companies have become rent seekers and they they extract value from the rest of us that are actually doing something productive so, and adding value to the economy. So, so Jimmy, what's your solution? Mm. I mean, you got you have you have a I mean, most of your book is kind of, you know, talking about the problem. What's the solution? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the solution is to return to a sound money standard. Now, how, how do you do that? How do you get back to a sound money? Uh, and that that's that that indeed is an excellent question. And I will point out that during the gold standard, which was much more of a sound money, so between the era when the greenback ended and before the Federal Reserve in 1913, so about 1879 to 1913, it was some of the most prosperous time in the world. This is called the golden age, La Bella Pac. Um, and you know, you look at the architecture from that era, all the stuff that was invented from that era, from the steam engine to cars and airplanes and all of that stuff. Um, it, it was probably the most uh, prosperous time and the most uh, progressive uh, in, in terms of civilization building that, that we've ever had. We need to return to a sound money in order to do that. But that means killing off the Federal Reserve. And the only way that uh, that I've seen that that uh, looks like it could work is uh, is Bitcoin, and that that's uh, something that you can opt out individually instead of making it a policy thing. If you want to return to the gold standard, you more or less have to change the entire system all at once. Whereas with Bitcoin, you can uh, you know change it one individual at so, a time. So how's that's, how's that's a big advantage? How's Bitcoin not fiat? I mean, didn't we just declare Bitcoin? Uh, no, it, it was it, it was created by Satoshi Nakamoto in 2009. But uh, the the fact is that everyone who, it, uh, unlike the Federal Reserve, you can audit it constantly, and no one can force your uh, force the software that you're running to be uh, different, right? Like you you run the software that you're running, and not anyone else. The Fed runs its own software for uh, for the ledger that it has, and it can increase the supply of money at any time for any reason. Uh, for uh, for Bitcoin, the supply is capped at 21 million, and no one can change that. And uh, if there are any changes to the protocol, you don't have to follow them at all. So it it is what we would call decentralized money in the same way that gold is decentralized, but it has the added advantage of being uh, digital instead of physical. And that means that it can be transferred very quickly uh, instead of something like gold, which uh, is physical and requires uh, significant physical transportation costs. Um, it can be verified very easily, uh, whereas something like gold, you have to assay it. And if, if you want to melt it down, you can to verify all of it, but that's fairly costly in addition to the transportation costs and so on. So um, it has certain advantages that allow people to uh, take possession of it relatively easy. I mean, you can take possession of gold, of course, but it's it's fairly difficult. Um, you know, most of the gold is centralized around seven gold vaults around the world. It is very hard to get delivery of them, and it is very expensive to do so. Uh, whereas with something like Bitcoin, it is uh, relatively inexpensive. The security around it is relatively inexpensive, and it is, uh, you know, verified and audited by, uh, you know, a software that anyone can run. Um, I'm running some myself. There are lots of people, uh, you know, upwards of 50,000 people that are running that software and can check it. Uh, that's not something that you can do with the Federal Reserve, for example. But um, but that that's why it's very different. Yummy, 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 yummy. Okay. Help me out here. What? <laughs> yeah, what was that? That was from the Nine Mile. I know. you never seen that before? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> it's basically saying Jimmy. Um <sighs> So you said we had the gold standard at one point for the most mm -hmm. part. And if we lost that, what's the difference? And that's a physical thing. How do we mm -hmm. not end up losing something like Bitcoin, which, which is, is a non-tangible thing? You know, I, I mean, and, and what's to stop us? I mean, yeah, what's to stop us from doing the same thing we did with gold with Bitcoin? 
Mm. Yeah. So the so the problem that gold. Oh, I'm sorry. The other way around. It, yeah. Same mm-hmm. thing we do. Yeah. With, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for understanding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the problem that we had with gold was that it, it tended to be centralized. People do not like securing their own gold. Um, you could keep it in your house, but then you might get a thief that comes into your house and robs you of your gold, and it's a bare instrument, so they can take it away, and you have no recourse, right? You unless you go and catch that robber or something like that. Um, you could bury it somewhere, then you might forget where it was buried, right? This is like sort of the legend of the pirate's gold or something like that, where it, they, you don't remember where it is and you might have, you might lose it that way. Um, so people tended to put things in banks, and this is where you get into a lot of trouble. Because once it's centralized around banks, then they can start doing what's called fractional reserve lending. They can lend out more gold certificates than they have gold in their vaults. And uh, people trade the certificates at par, but if uh, if they lend out more gold than they have, then they're essentially bankrupt. This is where that term really comes from, is you know it has the word bank in it for a reason. Um, so that that's essentially what happened with gold and the reason why FDR was uh able to seize all the gold in 1933 was because all the gold was in one place. He could just go to a bank and say, "Hey, like that that gold is ours now and we're going to revalue it a year later from $20.67 per ounce to $35 an, uh, an ounce." And this was sort of the uh quantitative easing that they had to do back in the 30s before the um, you know, sort of end of the gold standard. So uh, the the physicality of gold turns out to be uh, the the weakness because people don't like having to take possession of it and trading it and having that much value on them. Now, what digi- uh, because Bitcoin is digital, you can take possession of it, but you can also uh, secure it in ways that you can't with gold. So. Uh, you know, there, there's no password that you can put around gold that only you can spend it, even if it's on you, right? Like, uh, there, there, there's nothing like that. But like with, with Bitcoin, you have that. You can, you can have it on your phone, but it's secured by a password. If they take your phone, you can have a backup and you can, you can, uh, unlock it with your backup, whereas they would need your password in order to take it and so on. So, uh, you can, you can also have like split backups and things like that or multiple backups, uh, which, uh, you can't have with gold. And so taking possession of it is a lot easier and securing it is a lot easier than gold. So um, the ability to possess it is is a lot stronger with Bitcoin than it is gold. So it, it doesn't have all of these sort of centralization problems that uh, at least historically have happened with gold. So that means that you can sort of like have it in your house and not worry too much about a robber. Even if they came and got your stuff, you can have a backup with a friend or at a bank vault or, uh, you know, multiple split backups and so on, where, you know, you need two of three pieces to go and, uh, you know, restore and so on. Uh, so it makes it a lot easier to, uh, to possess, uh, by no means is, is it easy, but it's a lot easier uh, than with a physical commodity like gold, where you know you, you might have it in a safe, but then the thief can break into a safe, right? Like there's there's all kinds of uh, things that you have to worry about with gold that uh, you don't have to worry about with Bitcoin that that make it uh, superior, uh, more decentralized uh, money. Jimmy, um, you mentioned right before we started the show yeah. that um, part of this, I think, security and uh, so forth, it, it, you you have been doing some work, particularly in uh, missionary um, contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Explain explain um, how, how that is related. 
Yeah, so uh, so I'll give you an example, not from the missionary world, but uh, but uh, from uh, sort of the world of politics a little bit. So one of my friends is Anna Chekovich, and she is the CFO of the Anti-Corruption Foundation. And the Anti-Corruption Foundation is the main opposition to Vladimir Putin in Russia. And uh, Alexei Navalny is the head of that organization. He's unfortunately in prison now. Uh, mm. But that organization continues to exist. Now, they are mostly operating outside of Russia at this point, and they have no access to bank accounts in Russia. Most of their members are Russian, right? Uh, as you would expect, they right. they they are a Russian organization. Um, and because they are, you know, are mostly Russian citizens, they, they can't get a bank account outside of Russia for that reason. I think they finally found one, but uh, but they they need to transact, right? They need to get money uh, both in from um, into Russia and out of Russia because a lot of the people that want to donate to their organization are inside Russia, but they they have no access to any of the rubles that uh, those those people have. So how how do they operate? Well, they operate completely on a Bitcoin standard. They uh, collect money using Bitcoin uh, from the people that are inside Russia. There's nothing the Russian government can do about that. Yeah. And they also pay <laughs> all of their people, the people on the ground that are within Russia that are trying to, uh, you know, uh, you know, protests and things like that uh, with Bitcoin as well. Now, similar things are happening in missionary contexts. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to dox anybody <laughs> that, that's trying to do that. But right. the, trust me, there, there's, there's uh, you know, people in Syria and Iraq and people places like that where they've been trying. They, they, there's a lot of people that want to send them money, uh, but the financial rails to get them money are extremely difficult and cost a lot of money, even if you could do it and are quite dangerous in many contexts. So uh, getting the money there uh, is is a problem. And this is where Bitcoin can help. Uh, there are, believe it or not, uh, Bitcoin markets within Syria and Iraq. In fact, uh, in Afghanistan, after the Taliban took over, one of the biggest Bitcoin markets in the world was in Kabul uh, because you know, the the money that they had, like all the Western bank accounts immediately got shut off. So right. um, th this is this is one of the contexts where th this can be very, very useful. I um, I have friends mm. from Afghanistan that are able to send uh, relatives mo uh, money uh, from abroad because they have uh, Bitcoin and they, they have liquid Bitcoin markets for local currency in those markets. And uh, and they can they can, uh, you know, get, give them money about the only place where this is not viable is North Korea. And that's because they have a very, very locked down internet pretty much everywhere else. Uh, you know, you can you can find the Bitcoin market and you can uh, you can operate with these things. And, uh, you know, especially when, uh, you know, missions organizations want to send large amounts, uh, say above ten thousand dollars or so. Uh, this is a significant problem. And this is something that we're we're aiming to try to help a lot of these missions organizations solve. Um, you know, I I, uh, I I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys, but I, I got to travel around the world and meet a lot of these missionaries uh, this past year. And a lot of these younger missionaries see the potential of Bitcoin. Uh, a yeah. lot of them have read the book uh, that I, the previous book that I published, thank, uh, thank God for Bitcoin and so on. And they they get the they immediately get the usefulness of uh, Bitcoin for that. Right. It's just convincing a lot of the you know older missions organizations and their directors. Hey, like you can use this. You can get us money. We can we can convert it and we can uh, give it uh, to a lot of these churches that need it and so on. Mm. Tell everybody where they can get your book at. 
you can get Fiat Ruins Everything on Amazon, uh, BitcoinMagazine.com, and my website, FiatRuinsEverything.com. Uh, and yeah, I, I think, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, it'll be available on audiobook and ebook very soon. Uh, but yeah, th those are the places. I'm looking for my signed copy to show up here in the studio soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, brother, thank you for joining us on Cross Politic. Thank you for having me. Yes. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. I'm David Reese, Chief Executive Officer of Armored Republic. We've been around for over a decade, serving you now, trying to provide tools of liberty to free men to be able to resist tyrants and criminals to the honor of Christ. And we've created a lot of content to help you to understand products, to help you to understand how bullets get stopped, and you've seen a lot of cool things. But we've decided it's time to share some of what we have internally. A lot of people ask us what it is that we're about, what it is we're trying to accomplish, and the name captures what we're trying to accomplish. Armored Republic is the idea that we want to see our republic armored, we want it to be hardened, we want it to be defensible, we want it to guard, watch, keep, preserve, maintain the things that have been attained to. And so guarding that is a part of this armoring. We believe that if we can provide armor to you, if we can equip you, if we can give you knowledge, if we can help you to resist the nonsense that's dominant in the spirit of the age, and if you have all of that, we've equipped you with tools of liberty. Tools of Liberty includes intellectual ammunition. It includes the skill to be able to resist. It includes body armor itself, plate carriers, belts, IFACs to be able to heal up, stitch up, to be able to stop the bleed. Right? These are the things that we're trying to get to you. Now, as we think about that, a part of what's happened is there's, there's, there's sort of this, this, this sense in which there's a feeling of the tearing of the fabric of society. And so people don't know what it is that they should be doing. They don't know what to do, what to guard, where, where to gather. We want to encourage you to be able to gather free men who know what liberty is, who know that liberty is not a license to do wickedness, but it is the power to do righteousness in the face of, of tyrants and criminals. It is the ability to say no, and it's the ability to say yes to the right things. It's the ability to build. You need sword and trowel. You have to be able to put things together. So what we're trying to do now is trying to communicate more and more what it is to armor the Republic. And in addition to that, what is a Republic that we're guarding and trying to build? Republic's not just another word for democracy, which is the rule of the people. The rule of the people is, is, is two wolves and a sheep voting who's for dinner. If you, if you have a pure democracy, all you're gonna do is vote on who to kill, and you're gonna vote on whose wallet to pick. That's not what America is about. America is a republic if we can keep it. The Constitution attempts to capture the God-given rights that we receive as a heritage. It recognizes them. It does not give them. It does not grant them. But it rather establishes a clear public recognition of the rights that we have. What we are trying to do is to help to educate and strengthen and unite a movement to see that liberty does not perish from the land. This is Armored Republic, and in a republic, there is no king but Christ.